0: Hey podcast, Fahem, Eric here, and if you're an affiliate marketer or looking to monetize your online presence, you need to know about ShareASale.com. ShareASale is not just an affiliate network. It's your gateway to a world of opportunities. With thousands of high-paying affiliate programs across various niches, ShareASale connects you with top brands ready to collaborate with content creators like you. Imagine earning commissions for simply sharing products you love. Whether you're into fashion, tech, or lifestyle, Share a Sale has got a partnership waiting for you. Ready to turn your passion into profits? Head over to milwaukeemafia.com slash sale and sign up today. It's free, it's easy, and it's your ticket to unlocking a new revenue stream for your business.
1: You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.
0: Everybody, thanks for tuning in to another Milwaukee Mafia podcast. We got another great episode for you. Gavin, take her away with what we're talking
1: about. Hey, Eric. Uh, Sure wish I had a brandy to drink right now. Oh, man. Why didn't you remind me? Well, it's okay. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about. (laughs) Um, uh, many murders part two, Ooh. or uh, kind of part three really, but so, uh, in the course of putting this episode together, um, I was going through my notes and I actually found that I have a series of about 10 murders and bombings, um, between 1905 and 1910. Um, they're not in this episode and they don't appear in the book, but if somebody wants to hear about them, I can put them together in another episode, um, they didn't make the book because it didn't really fit in to the story I was trying to tell. But if people want further examples of why this is a bad neighborhood to live in, uh, there are still more stories out there.
0: And I think everybody wants to hear about murders.
1: That's See, what seems we're he- like it. That's yeah. what
0: we're here for. So
1: Okay. So in the Milwaukee Mafia book, the murders of 1911 through 1912 are all in a single chapter. Um, we divide them up on the podcast. First, we did many murders. Then we did the Dominic Leone Little Pink Church episode, and this is Many Murders Part Two. But if you have the book, these will all be in the same chapter. So for those following along at home, Many Murders Part Two. Kick her off. <laughs> Mike Paraconi and Vito Parla Piano, and I might be butchering these names as usual, they were childhood friends in their hometown in Sicily. Paraconi ran a successful antique shop and Parla Piano labored in a macaroni factory in their small village. And that does sound like a joke to say a macaroni factory, but that's really a thing that a lot of Italians did. Uh, Later, when the men moved to Milwaukee, uh, Pericone left his wife and child behind and paid for his friend's passage. They decided to share a double home on Van Buren Street, and they worked together in the foundry for Alice Chalmers. And a slight step aside here, uh, I know that not all of our listeners are from Wisconsin, and so I wanted to just kind of, Touch on Alice Chalmers for a moment. It has nothing to do with the story, but just so people know what it is. Uh, Alice Chalmers was sort of the, a conglomeration of various Milwaukee businesses going back to around the year 1860. Uh, a new factory was built in an area west of Milwaukee. That area was first called Honey Creek, then it was called North Greenfield. When the new factory went in, what do you suppose they changed the name to?
0: North Greenfield? No. Okay.
1: They changed it to West Alice. Oh, okay. So West Alice is named after Alice Chalmers. This is actually kind of a, a thing that happened. Um, around here, uh, you're familiar with the city of Kimberley. Yep. Do you know why it's called Kimberly? Because somebody's last name was Kimberly. Oh, it is because someone's <laughs> last name was Kimberly. It's because that's where the workers who worked at Kimberly Clark, that's where they lived.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So this is the thing. Like, if you owned a factory, you'd build a small town for your workers, and then they could name it after you.
0: It's a little weird in Kimberly, because isn't that kind of a, far away from Kimberly Clark in a way? I guess maybe that's they what had Moron they had multiple available. they had multiple mills. Okay, so yeah. they had a mill in the vicinity of Kimberly. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, Alice Chalmers was a company that made all kinds of things. They started out with flour mill equipment and then farming equipment and then blast furnaces. So, they've made a little bit of everything. They were they were a foundry. They were a factory. They were, they've were they made all sorts of stuff. Um, and unfortunately, as of January of 1999, they ceased to exist. Bummer. Yeah. So, Alice Chalmers isn't even a thing anymore. But it was like one of the major... Factories in Milwaukee. So just so people have an idea of what that is. On December 17th, 1912, Paracone went next door, you know, the other side of the duplex, <laughs> went next door to visit Piano, and they played cards for a few hours. During the course of conversation, Paracone told Piano that he would help the other, his friend track down the source of extortion letters that he had been getting. He had been getting these letters in the mail saying that they wanted $500. And, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes, these, these black hand letters where they, they make these threats on you. Well, they started talking about this, and the man receiving the letters started to think that the handwriting looked a lot like the handwriting of his friend. <laughs> he thought this was very odd, and he knew what his friend's handwriting looked like because— the man receiving the letters wasn't a very good reader-writer, so he'd have his friend help him write letters home. So he knew what his handwriting looked like. He's like, okay, wait a second. I think you know where these letters are coming from. At that moment, Periconi, the man who's alleged to have written the letters, this, these names are get kind of confusing. The man alleged to have written the letters tried to shoot Piano. But his gun jammed. Parlopiano was then able to pull out his gun. He shoots first. He gets off six rounds. Wow. (laughs) Three of the bullets find their way into his target. Parlopiano, seeing what he had done, was uh, sort of shocked. He went from just wanting to confront his friend. All of a sudden, his friend is now full of bullets. He takes off running. He's running up and down throughout the neighborhood. Um, he finally makes his way to a drug store and at that point he realizes, Well, there's really nothing I can do about this. I mean, this guy's dead in my house. So he turns himself into the police. Paracone dies at the emergency hospital, and Parlor Piano is held for first degree murder. This is a few days before Christmas, so his wife comes to the prison or the jail, whatever, and is like, Could you please let my please let my husband out for Christmas? We have a son at home. He would really like to see his father for Christmas. Um, and that didn't it didn't fly. <laughs> okay. So if you're held for murder, you don't usually get to go home for Christmas. Now, bartender and bank president Michael Cicero was a friend to both of the men, and he told the press that he felt the whole incident was either a practical joke gone wrong or a big misunderstanding. I am sure the Periconi had nothing to do with the black hand here, he said. He was a quiet, peaceful young fellow and seemed never to mix with the other Italians here. But I say he might have written the letters. Maybe he wrote them as a joke knowing that it would frighten his friend. That is the trouble with the Italians. They are either much in earnest, or they are joking like schoolboys, and one can hardly ever tell which. Which, of course, that's always a funny joke when you write a letter threatening your friend. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do that two, three times a week.
1: Yeah. And if the name Michael Cicero sounds familiar to you, it's because he came up in our last episode, um he ran the tavern where Dominic Leone died in front of. I was actually going to ask about that because the name did sound
0: familiar. I just figured it was the same last name as somebody else that you had mentioned previously. No,
1: but a lot of the same names will come up again and Mm -hmm. again. At the preliminary hearing, uh, Piano got his attorney, who was also the local um, counsel, uh, the, the diplomat who dealt with the Italian community. He went out there and he said that, you know, this guy is not a murderer. He's a hero. Periconi was a well-known member of the Black Hand. He went from one home to another upon the slightest pretext. He picked out the men upon whom tribute was to be levied. He never stayed more than a few minutes in each place. If the family looked prosperous, it was sure to receive a letter demanding money. So this guy now, hes not a, he's not a killer. He's getting rid of one of these extortionists. He's you know he's doing
0: the right thing. Just to stop you for a minute, be, yeah. because just for anybody that may not have listened to pre- the previous episode, that brought up the black hand. Okay. Um, and just to remind me, now do I remember right? Is the black hand something that people just thought kind of existed but didn't exist, or did we discuss that as being kind of there wasn't like a nationwide black hand, but there was a black hand possibly regionally in
1: Milwaukee. You okay. You got the right idea. You got the right idea there. Yeah, the Black Hand, see, the way the newspapers would talk about it, they would say the Black Hand or the Black Hand Society, and they made it sound like it was this real organization and possibly even an organization that had members all over the country. And that's not, as far as we can tell, that's not realistic. It's just a method that people used. They would write letters and they would write these threats and whatever, and People did use this method all over the country. Um,
0: but there was no connection. But there was
1: really no connection. If Periconi was really a, a black hand letter writer, and I don't even know if he really was, but assuming that he was, he probably did not know anybody in Chicago doing this or Detroit or whatever.
0: And there wasn't, like, a weekly Black Hand Society meeting in no. Milwaukee, even. It was just kind of a nickname they gave to people that wrote these kinds of letters. Right. Okay.
1: And even as far as, like, the mafia goes, some mafia members might have wrote black hand letters, but not everybody who wrote a black hand letter was necessarily in the mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. hmm it's a it, it gets confusing because people say, oh, there's a Black Hand Society. And then they're like, oh, well, that became the mafia. And eh, that's not really – it gets confusing, but basically that's not accurate mm-hmm. at no. all. Or
0: there is no evidence to show that that is accurate.
1: That's another good way of putting it, yeah, yeah. which is always a problem with this is there's so much that just – we'll never know. All right, so the case goes to trial two months later, which is pretty quick. You don't really see that anymore. He claims self-defense. The jury goes out for 49 minutes. They required two ballots, so the first time they weren't all convinced. But the second time they come back and they read the verdict, and what do you suppose the verdict was?
0: Well, I would say that he has a legitimate chance of getting off on this, just because the guy was in his house. The guy did draw a gun on him, right?
1: Oh, allegedly, yeah.
0: So so I think could have been not guilty, but... But probably in this situation, because there seems some reasonable reason that he might not be guilty, he was probably definitely found guilty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you had you had it right the first time. He's, oh, he's found not guilty.
0: Okay, good. Not good, but whatever. Well,
1: then it might be good. Yeah. It might be good. Uh, the courtroom full of Italians burst into cheers, and the judge had to smash his gavel several times to calm them because they were getting a little too rowdy. Um, and within days, according to the newspaper... Uh, he was recruited by the police to help dismantle other members of the Black Hand. Now, I have no idea if that's true. We never get an update on that. So I don't know if that's just the paper just making up stories because the papers are full of a lot of exaggerations.
0: <laughs> they like to perpetuate the Black Hand story a little bit.
1: So, these tumultuous years of violence in Milwaukee, we have one more notable victim in the Italian colony to talk about. And that, that man's name is Carmelo Schiano. So, again, if I mispronounce, I apologize. I'm trying my best. Uh, He was a native of Sicily, just like most of these guys were. He had served for two years in the Italian Army. He came to America in September of 1901. He briefly stayed in Pittsburgh before moving to Milwaukee. He was actually pretty early on uh, in Milwaukee, coming as early as, you know, 1901, 1902, which is ahead of the average. So he comes in. Uh, he moved into the third ward, like everybody else in the summertime he was a fisherman, and in the winter he was a fruit vendor, which really wasn't too profitable because there isn't really a lot of fruit in the winter, but there's <laughs> it's probably even harder to fish in the winter, so he did what he could married a local girl um and pretty much as far as anybody could tell, he was just you know a hardworking normal Sicilian immigrant but after sundown on the evening of december thirtieth nineteen twelve Sciano stepped out onto the porch of his home. A man came out of the shadows in the space between the Schiano home and a neighboring house, unloading both barrels of a sawed-off shotgun. Schiano was hit several times in the head, with his eye being completely destroyed by the pellets, I guess. The assailant dropped the weapon and ran through the backyard and across the railroad tracks. Sciano's wife ran outside upon hearing the shots and threw herself on her husband, her dress soaking up the spreading pool of blood.
0: That's very graphic. It
1: is. This is the newspaper. (laughs) This is the way they wrote it. Nearby was a spilled pail of beer. (laughs) (laughs) It's Milwaukee, so we got to throw that
0: in Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: just in case everybody forgot. (laughs) We have people drinking out of pails of beer around here. (laughs) Inside the house was uh, their three children, ages one through eight, and now they were Left without a father, Uh Mrs. Schiano was also pregnant with a fourth child. We are poor, she told the press. Carmelo made only a few cents a day during the winter, and we barely had enough to buy food. What will my children do? Who will feed them now? Who will buy the coal? Who will pay the rent at the time of his death? All that he had in his pockets was a handkerchief and two dollars and fourteen cents. wasn't a wasn't a rich guy, and then they were like, well, why was he targeted? Why did they shoot him? and I so, off- Why did they shoot him? Yeah, we'll get there. An officer arrived uh, at 7 o'clock that night, uh, a little bit after the shooting, and had to remove the wife from her husband's body. Um, He found the still-smoking sawed-off shotgun between the home and the building next door with two empty cartridges inside, so the weapon was thrown away. Returning the next day to use the sunlight, he found eight bullet holes in the porch across the street. One of the holes was as wide as a dime. The coroner examined the body, noting that the right eye was, quote, almost completely destroyed, and finding that the brain was, quote, extensively lacerated. Uh, the cause of death was pretty obvious. Yeah, but- I would say so. <laughs> Police suspected the motive for his murder was revenge. They speculated that Schiano may have somehow been involved in the slaying of Dominic Leone. He had been questioned at the time of the death of another man, Vincenzo Ferreira, back in... 1907 so like 5 years prior and it was no stretch to think that he could have been involved with multiple slayings in the area now i don't know what it is that made them think that he was because from what little i'm able to put together this guy does not seem to be connected at all he just seems to be a regular you know guy with a young family trying to work
0: the fact that they talk they focus on how broke he was yeah right like You would think if you're all killing people, you're doing it with some intent of making some money, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, unless people are just giving them nickels and dimes to go kill people, and he seems to think that's a good idea. Yeah,
1: it's it's very strange, and of course, the problem I run into is these police files are long since destroyed, and maybe in there they would have explained why this guy was a suspect, but... They they don't exist and they're not. It's on the newspaper, so I don't know. It's very weird to me, looking at it as an outsider and saying this guy is, you know, one moment he's a victim and the next moment they're like, oh yeah, we thought he was going to be, you know, the killer of all these other guys. Like, do you feel like there could be a pot? Could be the police are
0: using like, okay, we have a murder over here. We had a murder over here. We're gonna try. To use these two people to explain both these murders to make people think, okay, well, now this person's dead, this person's dead. These, these situations can't happen again. Kind of, yeah. if that makes
1: sense. Actually, I think you're really on to something with that. Um, whether it was true or not, the way that the police and the newspapers talked about it was that anytime somebody was killed, there was going to be a revenge killing. And then when there's the revenge killing, then there's a revenge, revenge killing, killing for that. And so yeah, I whether this guy was involved or not, I think that's going to be like their instinct It's like, well, this guy just got killed, and so this just must be revenge, revenge for, for the them. last guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and maybe it's just even where they live. This guy got killed, and he was in the neighborhood where this other guy who killed this guy over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, almost like a kind of like a gang thing. Well, it's in, it's definitely like a gang like, thing. Like, yes. like gang territory type stuff like that. I could very well see them tying things like that together in that way.
1: So Schiano's four brothers, uh, they they went to the morgue <clears throat> and according to the newspaper, and I do not necessarily believe this is true, but the, according to the newspaper, these four brothers went around the body and they cried out, Oh, Mary, mother of God. Give us the power, the strength, and the wisdom to find the slayer of our brother, and then, oh God, direct us how to act. They told the police that Carmelo had not received any threatening letters and had no enemies. The newspapers said that they believed that the all four of these brothers were mafia members and that they had sworn the ancient Sicilian oath of vengeance. I don't necessarily believe any of that, but this is the way that the paper wrote about it.
0: So, tell us about the ancient Sicilian. What is it? The ancient Sisi- ancient
1: Sicilian oath of vengeance, which um, is a, that's a thing actually. Oh,
0: was I thought this was just something they pulled out of their. You know. I I
1: mean I think this is a great exaggeration, but we have a word um, in English that is taken from. This thing, you know, I don't know what that word is. I, I want to know what that word is. I have no idea what that word is. The word is vendetta.
0: Really? Yeah. Which I guess I can hear. that. It's yeah, that's a,
1: it's an Italian word about getting revenge on somebody oh, who wronged you. Very cool. So, I mean, whether these guys are really mob guys planning to get revenge, I have no idea. But, but it was commonly thought that people had vendettas when a member of their family or whatever was killed. So... Um, a man was arrested uh, shortly thereafter, but they couldn't connect him to the crime. Uh, the best they could do was uh, put him in jail for a night because he had a revolver on him and he was in a tavern. Um, at that point in time, it was perfectly okay to carry a revolver on you, even concealed, but you couldn't bring it in a tavern. That, hmm. was, that was a no-go.
0: Which is a very good idea. Yeah. I mean... There's
1: there's a reason that we don't let people carry guns in taverns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this detective uh, is a man named Harry Ridenour, and I'm probably saying Ridenauer wrong, but uh, he ends up going up the ranks, and he actually gets to be fairly well known shortly after this, because on October 14th, 1912, actually that might be shortly before this, but either way, about the same time... <laughs> um, President Roosevelt is in Milwaukee, and a man tries to assassinate him. The detective tackles the man, and Roosevelt actually did get shot. Um, if anybody wants to hear about that story, we can talk about it. It's nothing to do with the mafia whatsoever. But if anybody wants to hear the story of President Roosevelt getting shot in Milwaukee, oh, yeah, we could talk about that. I imagine it wasn't
0: a severe shooting or anything.
1: I'll give you the very brief version of the story. So President Roosevelt is giving a speech. Mm-hmm. he gets shot he actually gets shot in the chest and I don't remember what it is but he has something in his pocket where it hits him hard enough that he's bleeding but it stops it from actually like causing him to get you know dead
0: <laughs> he probably had a whiskey flask in his yeah i don't bag re- and- <laughs> i don't remember offhand what it is that
1: he's got on him but whatever it is he gets shot and according to the coverage at the time he continued to make a speech for another 90 minutes. <laughs> Before he went to the hospital to get checked out. How have I never heard this story before? I don't know.
0: That just goes to show you how sheltered I
1: am. Yeah. I mean, it's a... It's interesting. It's another one of those great things about Milwaukee. But um, yeah, that's the really super short version is a guy tried to kill him, and President Roosevelt's just too strong. You can't (laughs) take him down. You can't take him down. Yeah. An anonymous Italian in the third ward told the press that the solution to all these murders was hiring an Italian patrolman. He said that the residents were not opposed to finding the killers, but they had an irrational fear of the police. The average foreigner is ignorant of the laws of the United States, he said and there exists a prejudice that does not disappear in the first generation. Speaking to the press, the police chief agreed with this. Uh, He said they would love to have an Italian police officer. Quote, There is not an Italian in Milwaukee acceptable to us with the nerve or desire to accept the best position in the Milwaukee Police Department. He claimed that he had searched for 10 years, offering the job a few times, and every time he offered the job, they turned him down. Quote, they fear they will be killed if they join the department. The minute an Italian joined the force, he would become a marked man. The Milwaukee Journal asked various citizens to respond to this, and they universally agreed that an Italian detective should be hired. A few pointed out that he doesn't even need to be an Italian just so long as he can speak Italian. That would be really helpful.
0: I think we discussed on a previous episode that if mm-hmm. if somebody in Italian were to take a position. As a police officer, wouldn't the mafia view that as, well, he's just do- doing his job. We're not going to really mess with him. Or, yeah. Because you know, we kind of talked about with that with the pri- priest and stuff like that. Right, right. They right. kind of have that philosophy that he's doing his job. You know, we're we're not going to leave him alone. Not that they don't kill police officers, because I'm sure they have on plenty of occasions, well,
1: but. It's generally rare. Oh, okay. And yeah, like I said, not that it hasn't happened, but it's generally rare. I mean, even um, even later on when the FBI gets involved, a lot of these guys will like mess with the FBI, like they'll taunt them and make fun of them and stuff like that. But they don't ever like you know, even though it's really easy to find out where a guy lives, they never go and actually do anything to him. Mm-hmm. So this is 1912. The first Italian joins the Milwaukee Police Department in. What year? It's 1912, right? This story is 1912, so... <sighs> I don't know. 1915. Not even close. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not until 1928. Wow. So another, was that, 16 years? And the thing about that is, um, we've mentioned this in the past, I know. In November of 1917, there was a bomb that was brought to the Milwaukee Police Station. It killed nine police officers, which was the single largest loss of police life for over 80 years. I mean, a major, major event. And this happened in the Italian neighborhood. But they have no police officers who speak Italian that are from the Italian community. So
0: they couldn't go and in interview anybody about the incident? No. Oh, wow.
1: No. So that case, um, they end up arresting a bunch of people. And they do end up going to prison. But it's almost today, it's almost... Conv- convincingly when you look back on it that the people they arrested and put in prison are probably not even the right guys. They just had to get somebody. Somebody. Yeah. So it was a real, real big mess. It was like the biggest case of its time and they had no way to investigate it.
0: Like, I I understand the challenges of being a police officer back in these times without the technology and stuff to do the things they do. But man, it just seems like the more and more stories I hear, they just did not do a very good
1: job. I mean, you can't blame them for not knowing Italian. It's
0: Yeah, but I mean, I feel like there's got to be a workaround for that. Go go to Dominic Leone in his well, yeah. pretty pink church and have him translate well, yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, they'd get they'd get interpreters and stuff. Sure, so, definitely. But it's it still takes a lot more work than just being able to go door to door or whatever.
0: Yeah, and if you do get an interpreter, Can you really trust the interpreters? They're interpreting correctly. That's always a risk, yeah. (laughs) Because, like you said, the Italian community tends to protect their own and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, and I, along that same line, the testimony or the interviews probably aren't going to be very reliable either. Because how much are they going to? Sure. How much are the people going to really tell you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So all kinds of uh, hurdles there. So is that? that's it wrap, for the many
0: murders wrap up yeah. no more no more killing today
1: no uh no not today not no. today
0: <laughs> but tune in because we'll be back with more killing plenty more episode. killing gavin you want to hit them with some contact info
1: sure uh the website is milwaukee you can find all sorts of information there If you want to email me directly, you can email me at milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. I've gotten very few emails. I would love to hear from people, especially if you've got questions or ideas for future shows.
0: Yeah, we're hoping you're not just downloading the episode and actually listening to the episode. So hit us up with some emails, ask some questions. All right. Well, I think that wraps this week's episode up, Gavin. I think so. Everybody have a good one. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin
0: Mafia and true crime history. Hey there, e commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit milwaukeemafia.com ship and level up your shipping game today.